Welcome to episode 49 of Spurbs Herbs. Today we are going to be talking about a very commonly used herb, even if it's not commonly used as an herb. We're going to be talking about Dan Dochur, which is Soja Semen Preparatum or Prepared Soybean. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. And on today's episode, we will be looking at another Chinese herb, Dan Chi, or prepared soybean, as I just mentioned. And this is a mild herb used occasionally in treating colds. Since it is also a food, it should be pretty safe. We're going to check that out. And we will find out if it is effective or not. And as usual, we will be exploring something a little different today we will be discussing the five tastes and why they are important when we discuss herbs. Before we get into that, let's talk about today's deal. If you still haven't checked out our mega deal, it's going to be gone soon. Check it out at www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org slash mega deal. That's M-E-G-A-D-E-A-L. That's www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org slash mega deal. Today, I would like to talk to you about my favorite course that I put on. It is called Why, Not How Herbs Work. And it's just a special course for those of us who have asked the question, why do herbs even help us? In other words, why do they have any effect on humans at all? We explore some really interesting territory in this course including philosophy, talking about holism and reductionism, ecology with talking about Gaia theory, evolution, we're going to talk about coherent coupling and plant-human coalitions, and explain why herbs may do different things at different doses, which is hormesis and xenohormesis. I don't know about you, these all sounded really foreign and exotic before I got into them. And on top of all that, we will discuss the implications of each of these on current herb research and usage. This is an amazing journal that answers fundamental questions about herbalism, and it is an absolutely can't-miss webinar. If you hurry, you can get this webinar for one-third off. Instead of $30 for this two-hour continuing education course, it is only $20. And we are approved for NCCOM PDAs and California uh, Acupuncture Board CEUs, so it's a great way to get that for relatively very cheap and a fascinating, fascinating course. Just go to www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org, that's that C-O-U-N-C-I-L there, uh, slash Y to get this deal. That's www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org slash Y. No question mark, nothing like that. So today, we wanted to talk about the five tastes. But before we can talk about the five tastes, we have to talk about Wu Xing, Wu Xing, the five phases. One of the basic philosophical concepts of Chinese thought and medicine is that of the Wu Jing. For a lot of my training, this was translated as the five elements. Though a much better and more appropriate translation is the five phases, and we're going to find out why in just a minute. 
While the concept of the five elements seem appropriate as they are foundational, fundamental, and basic concepts that other Chinese concepts are based upon, they are not stable nor unchanging like we would expect an element to be. In Chinese thought, they are always moving and changing into each other, and most translators prefer the translation of five phases because they're not elements and more like transitional states. And, you know, I, I like, you know, when we, when we talk about elements in this context, and we can look at the elements like the elemental chart of chemistry, and those elements, they're stable. We know exactly how they're built, how they do it. But when you look into them, they're not stable. They are transitional. Electrons are moving all over the place. Protons and neutrons are not, are not uh, just not moving. So, I, you know, the word elements is probably not horrible, but it's probably not the best. So the five phases are fire or huo, water or shui, wood or mu, metal, jing, and earth, tu. So it has all of those are the five elements. So uh, just without the Chinese, fire, water, wood, metal, and earth, or with them, huo, shui, mu, jing, and tu. The wu xing flow in specific cycles. The two basic ones are the generating or sheng cycle and the controlling ke cycle. The generating cycle begins with fire, which generates earth, which generates metal, which generates water, which generates wood, which generates fire. So just think about that for a second. So it starts with fire, which generates earth. So when you, when you actually put something on fire like wood, it will become soil, it becomes earth, it goes into the earth. Earth is where we get metal, so metal comes, it, you know, earth generates metal. Metal generates water. When you melt metal, it turns into a fluid-like substance like water. And water, of course, is necessary for generating wood. And then wood is burned and generates fire. So it's a, it's a cycle that just keeps going on and on. And that's the generating cycle. We also have the controlling cycle, which starts with fire controlling metal. Fire melts metal. Metal controlling wood. So think of an axe in this case. So metal will cut into wood. Wood controlling earth. So um, in, in this contest, think of a like a, a tree, um, because tree is another sort of translation for wood as well. So like a tree growing into the earth, and so that, that controls earth. Earth controls water. You can make earthen dams to control water. And water controls fire, of course. Water will put out fire. So that all makes sense. So these are the, the basic. There's other cycles. There's the insulting cycle. There's counter inside. There's just a lot of other cycles. But these are the two basic ones. So each of the phases are also associated with many manifestations, including color, sound, emotions, direction, climate, season, even meats and grains in our diet. And in Chinese medicine, they're associated with various organs, sense organs, tissues, and tastes. Today, we will be concentrating on the five tastes and why they are important to Chinese medicine, and specifically Chinese herbology, which of course is our primary concern here as well. So according to Machiosha, so if you're not familiar with, with Giovanni Machiosha, he's written several fundamental foundational textbooks in English. They're um, often translations, 
large portions of translations from the Chinese, uh, but they are uh, they have a lot of Giovanni's background in them as well. But I, you'd be hard pressed to find a school in the United States that didn't use at least one or two of his his textbooks as basic foundational training for Chinese medicine. There are others, but Giovanni is, is Maciocha is is the is the granddaddy of him, and I was lucky enough to study with him a little bit and work with him. So um, he passed a few years ago, unfortunately, but he leaves a huge body of work for our profession. And according to him, the tastes related to the five elements are a relatively minor aspect of Chinese diagnosis. They are as follows, sour for wood, bitter for fire, sweet for earth, pungent for metal, and salty for water. So sour, bitter, sweet, those are all pretty straightforward. Pungent, you'll often see it translated as pungent, spicy, acrid. Those are all the same sort of taste or metal. And then, of course, salty for water, thinking of salt water, so that makes a lot of sense. So a sour taste often accompanies liver disharmonies. A bitter taste is part of the pattern of heart fire. Now, so we said sour is part of wood. Liver is also part of wood as well. Liver is the organ of wood, or the yin organ, I should say, of wood. We'll get into organs and five elements probably, maybe even next episode. Uh, but a sour taste often accompanies liver disharmonies, and that makes sense. Sour taste associated with wood, wood associated with liver, makes sense. A bitter taste is part of the pattern of heart fire. Again, bitter is fire, so that makes sense. Sweet taste is also indicative of spleen deficiency. Again, spleen is part of earth, makes perfect sense. A pungent taste sometimes accompanies lung disharmonies, and a salty taste occasionally is associated with kidney deficiency. So all these kind of go in line with these tastes, but they don't always correlate. The taste correspondences also suffer from certain limitations. For example, a sour taste is more frequently present in stomach disharmonies. A bitter taste is also more frequently indicative of liver disharmonies, such as liver fire. And a sweet taste can also indicate retention of dampness. So they're not perfect, and that's why he says a relatively minor aspect of Chinese diagnosis. We generally, I do, you know, we have something called the 10 questions when we, we are treating a patient. And I often will ask a patient, do you have any funny tastes? Uh, or or it, often I will extend that into cravings as well. So cravings can kind of fall into this a little bit. But it isn't one of my more important diagnostic tools. Uh, it, it, it can be helpful in, in, in some circumstances, but it's relatively rare. However, while the five tastes may not be super useful for Chinese medical diagnostics, they are very useful and are a quote-unquote primary property of herbs. And this is all according to Bensky and his team, which is one of the main textbooks for herbs. So Maciocha's book, and that came from the Foundations of Chinese Medicine, that's a foundational textbook for the underlying theories of Chinese medicine. As we get into the herb textbooks, now we're talking about, um, in, in this case with Bensky, fundamental textbook for individual herbs as well. So here's what they say there on this primary property of the five tastes. Five tastes are acrid sheen, sweet gan, bitter ku, sour swan, and salty xian. Substances that have none of these tastes are said to be bland or dung. This, con this concept dates back to both the classic of Materia Medica and the inner classic. If you're not familiar, I, 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 I'm not super familiar with the classic of Materia Medica, but I'm assuming that's a very old book. 
that probably is not um, because I, I looked in the back in, in the back of Ben's because they have all the books that they mentioned listed. And this wasn't mentioned, so I don't know how old it was, and, or and I don't know if it's existent at this point. But the inner classic is this is um, the Huangdi Neijing, also known as the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Internal Medicine or Yellow Emperor's Inner Classic, and it is the oldest existing existing book on Chinese medicine and it dates to about 200 BCE. So um, about 2,400 years old or 2,300 years old at this point. So definitely one of the oldest books. And so we can see that these tastes are as old as basically the first writings of Chinese medicine, or at least existing writings of Chinese medicine. In fact, references in the inner classic to medicines or food almost always discuss the properties of taste or temperature. For example, the temperature, temperature characteristics are yang, and the tastes are yin. This is a quote. A substance may also be described as aromatic, qiang, which is not really a characteristic of taste, but of temperature. This, this property describes an ability to penetrate through turbidity and revive a particular function, either the digestive function of the spleen or the cognitive functions of the spirit and sensory orifices. Another taste attributed to certain herbs is astringent, or se. This, re this refers not only to the taste of the substance, but also its ability to prevent the leakage of fluids. The properties of taste and temperature have specific effects. The following passages drawn from chapter 74, basic questions, are illustrative. So basic questions, we just said the inner classic. Uh, and so where does basic questions fall? Well, the, the inner classic, the Wangdi Neijing, the Yellow Emperor's classic of internal medicine or inner classic, is broken down into two books. And one of those is called the Basic Questions or Su Wen. So that's where this is coming from. And so here are some passages that are in that portion of the, the inner classic. Acrid and sweet tastes scatter in our yang. Sour and bitter substances drain in our yin. The salty taste drains and is yin. The bland taste seeps and drains and is yang. So a, a thick, these are continuing with, with quotes, a thick taste is yin, a thin taste is yin within yang. Thick taste drains, thin facilitates flow. Another quote, among the tastes, acrid and sweet disperse and are yang, while sour and bitter drain and are yin. In traditional Chinese medicine, the taste of an herb partly determines its therapeutic function. Acrid substances disperse and move. Sweet substances tonify, harmonize, and are sometimes thought to moisten. Bitter substances drain and dry. Sour substances are astringent and prevent or reverse the abnormal leakage of fluids and energy. Salty substances, substances purge and soften, and bland substances leach out dampness, and promote urination. Zhang Yuan Su, who lived between 1151 and 1243, expanded upon the characterization of taste as set forth in the Inner Classic. For example, he said that because the Fedra herb of Ma Huang is bitter, its taste is thin, and it is the yang within yin. It therefore produces sweat and ascends. And because the taste of Ray Radix et Rhizoma, Da Huang, is thick and is the yin within yin, it therefore drains downward. The Inner Classic also mentions prohibitions against the use of certain tastes. 
acridity, spiciness, travels in the chi, and diseases of the chi do not each eat much acrid food. Saltiness travels in the blood, and diseases of the blood do not eat much salty food. Actually, that sounds pretty familiar to, to common to modern Western medicine as well. Continuing. Bitterness travels in the bones, and diseases of the bones do not eat much bitter food. Sweetness travels in the flesh, and diseases of the flesh do not eat much sweet food. Sourness travels in the sinews, and diseases of the sinews do not eat much sour food. A relationship between the tastes and the yin organs is mentioned in basic questions. Sourness enters the liver, acridity the lungs, bitterness the heart, saltiness the kidneys, and sweetness the spleen. There's also a discussion of the effect of each taste on diseases in each of the yin organs. The therapeutic actions of an herb can be discerned by linking its taste and temperature qualities. Thus, an acrid warm herb can be used for treating externally contracted cold, an acrid cool substance for externally contracted heat, and so forth. And again, this is all Bensky's textbook, Bensky and his team, uh, which is the uh, Chinese pharmacopoeia. Excuse me, Chinese, what is it? Uh, Chinese Herbal Medica, um, Materia Medica, I should say. That is an introduction to the five tastes and why they are important to Chinese herbs. So again, we see the importance of, of these five tastes. Probably, I would say, even though they're a basic concept in Chinese medicine, I really think they're not super useful until we start applying them to herbs. And it's very important. In fact, the we, we've often talked about the Chengdan Ben Sao Jing, which is the Divine Farmer's uh, Materia Medica. And it's the oldest existing book on individual herbs, started written about 200 CE. And it was said in antiquity, Shen Nong is the Divine Farmer, sort of this, supposed to be someone who lived, but is given sort of a divine sort of status. And he lived a couple thousand years before all this we're talking about, you know, maybe three or 4,000 years ago at least. And he was said to have a glass stomach that he could eat anything and he would he could discern the tastes of the herbs. So that's why this is a um, very foundational concept, especially with herbs. And with that under our belt, without further ado, let's get into today's herb, which is Dan Do Chi, prepared soybean. And this is in the family of Fabaceae. The species specifically that we're talking about is Glycine Max L. Myrrh. And that specific species, species is in Chinese, Da Do is the, is the Chinese of this particular species, Da Do, both fourth tone. The medicinal part is the entire herb. Um, you know, we're, we're, we can talk about the entire herb, but really we're talking about the beans, the fruit. Uh, but the entire herb can also be there as well. Uh, and the English translation of Dan Do Chir literally means prepared soybean. So right there. Other names for this are just Glycimax. So it's the species, but it's also just the name. People will just say Glycimax. Um, soja, you might see S-O-J-A, soja in there. Um, Xiang Do Chi, we're going to see specifically what that means. Fragrant Do Chi, so fragrant soybean. In Japanese, it's um, Tantoshi. And in Korean, damdusu. Again, I don't speak either Japanese or Korean, and only barely speak Chinese, so please forgive me with all that. 
So let's talk a little bit about that Fabassier family because it's a really interesting family and you are absolutely familiar with this family. You, um, if not every day, frequently probably have things from this, this family. So the Fabassier family also called the Leguminosae, Leguminosae family is commonly known as the pea, legume, or bean family. It includes about 670 genera. Uh, Wikipedia says about 765. So there's there's always some discre- some discrepancy between genera uh, and and potentially species when you look at these overviews because they're constantly changing and depending on your source and all sort of things. So um, between 670, 765, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. That's a lot of genera for a family and nearly 20,000 species of trees, shrubs, vines, and herbs. Distributed worldwide, members generally have compound leaves and the production of fruits known as legumes. The family Fabaceae uh, includes a number of plants that are common in agriculture, including glycine, max, soybean, fasciolus, beans, pisum sativum, or pea, peas, Cicera areatinum, which are chickpeas, we know that well, hummus, uh, uh, Vicia faba, broad bean, uh, Metacago sativa alfalfa, uh, Arrakis hypogea, peanut, the actual peanut, uh, Serotonia siliqua, carob bean, trigo, um, Trigonella foam brassium, or fenugreek, it's, a, it's an herb, and Glycerisae glabra, Licorice. So uh, whatever we're doing, if we're taking an herbal formula or we're taking some licorice, probably with it. That's in most herbal formulas. If we're, you know, I don't know about you. I probably don't eat beans, soybeans, chickpeas, and peas and peanuts every day. But I probably eat them three or four times a week. You know, I would think. So uh, they, I had I had hummus last night. So there's my chickpeas uh, uh, just last night and. So there you go. So this is common, I think, uh, that we, we eat something from this family. And, and they're good sources of protein, and oils are really good sources. We're going to talk more about that in the context of soybeans. So that's the family. Let's talk some more about Dandochi itself. Uh, Bensky and his team say the dose of this herb is 9 to 12 grams. Chen and Chen, uh, remember I have three major textbooks and a bunch of other textbooks that I look at. So um, Bensky and his team is one of them. Chen and Chen is another excellent uh, excellent textbook for herbs. And they say the dose is 10 to 15 grams, so maybe a little bit more than the Bensky, with a maximum of 50 grams. Now that sounds like a lot, and it is a lot for herbs. But remember, this is also, it's prepared soybeans. This is, a, this is sort of a, it's a, it's a uh, food substance. So 50 grams is only is less than two ounces. That's not a lot as as far as as a food substance. And Brandon Wiseman agree it is 10 to 15 grams as well. So Chen Chen, Brandon Wiseman, I think they often have the same source source text because they seem to be very much in uh, agreement on most of the dosages here. The category, they all kind of translate them slightly differently. Bensky and his team puts this herb in the cool acrid herbs that release the exterior subcategory of herbs that release the exterior. Uh, Chen Chen say it is a wind heat releasing herb under exterior releasing herbs. So it's just like, you know, like Bensky takes the herb itself, you know, it's it's a cool acrid herb. 
and that releases the exterior. And Chen Chen says, well, it's what diseases it's treating, and, and they say it's a wind heat releasing herb. So it actually treats wind heat. So slightly different. One looks at the herb, one looks at, at what it's treating. And Brown and Wiseman similarly um, say it belongs to cold, acrid, exterior-resolving medicinals. They use slightly different language, but very much in the same line of things. Uh, Bensky and their team say it is sweet, slightly bitter, cold or warm, depending on preparation. We're going to talk quite a bit about that in just a few. And enters the lung and stomach. Chen Chen and Brandon Wiseman added is acrid, so that's got that spiciness, and only cold. Though when you get into some of the commentary, especially with Chen Chen, they, they will say that how it's prepared can also make it warm. Remember, it's under the, the category of cool acrid herbs. So generally, we expect this to be on the cooling side of things. And they haven't really talked a lot about temperature. We just kind of touched it in Bensky. They kind of talked about taste and temperature at the same time. So I, there were a few quotes I just had that had a little bit of temperature involved with it. But we're going to get into temperature as well. Maybe that'll be our next, our next uh, something different. Because it's super important with Chinese herbology. It's very different than other threads or, th or, or um, approaches to herbs. So Bensky and his team in Chen and Chen disagree on what is the original source of this herb by a lot. Bensky and their team say it is first mentioned in the Ben Sao Hui Yan or the Treasury of Words on the Materia Medica by Nishu Zhu Mo, written during the Ming Dynasty, which lasted from 1368 to 1644. So that is uh, relatively modern compared to what Chen Chen say. It was first described in the Mingyi Zhaju or Miscellaneous Records of Famous Physicians by, Ta, uh, by uh, Tao Hongjing in 500 CE. So there's about a thousand years difference in what they, where they think this herb came from. Um, so not being a Chinese herbal historian, I'm not sure which is the correct original text. First describing this herb in the Ming Dynasty uh, seems awfully late given soybeans are a food substance and had been a food substance for thousands of years in Chinese at that point, in China at that point. And the herb Dan Do Huang Jian, or Soja Semen Germanatum, or germinated soybean, is first described in the Shenang Ben Sao Jing from the 2nd century CE. So they were using this medicinally, um, soybeans medicinally. Um, germinatum is germinated soybean. So you, you take it, you germinate it, and then you eat it. And that is almost 2,000 years old, 1,900 years old. Um, in the 2nd century, that's in the Shenggang Ban Sao Jing that I was just talking about. Um, but this prepared or fermented soybean, we keep saying prepared, but what we really mean is fermented. We're going to talk about how it's prepared in just a little bit, uh, was actually... Uh, according to Chen Chen, first in the five, uh, 500 CE, so several hundred years after this, uh, the Shenan Ben Saojing. So what are the cool acrid herbs that release the exterior? So let's dive back into Bensky textbook. And they say exterior releasing herbs. So this is half of what it does. Remember, it's a cool acrid herb. So we're not talking about the cool acrid yet. We're going to get there. But the release the exterior, why would we release the exterior? So exterior releasing herbs, are those that release disorders lodged in the very superficial levels of the body. When external pathogenic factors, including wind heat, wind cold, wind, wind dampness, and summer heat, invade the body, 
they first attack its superficial exterior aspects. Now, if this terminology sounds a little bit weird to you, when heat, when cold, when dampness, it's all kind of similar to what we would say as a cold in the West. Uh, and we say that wind will bring is, is sort of one out, there's kind of two ways you can look at wind, but this way is it brings something from the outside in and uh, our basically our body's trying to fight it off. So, and that's where we get our symptoms. That's where we get it stuck in those superficial levels of the body. So symptoms associated with the exterior um, then appear. So chills, fever, headache, stiff neck, and general muscle aches. Sometimes sweating will appear, which resolves the condition, in which case no treatment is necessary. Your body's good. You sweat. It's good. At other times, however, there will be an absence of sweating, or even though there is sweating, it is not accompanied by any change in the condition. At this juncture, herbs that release the exterior are used. Most exterior-releasing herbs are diaphoretics. That is, they release or expel the external pathogenic influences through sweating. So we actually... These herbs will induce sweating. There's a saying in Chinese medicine, when the disease is in the skin, sweating will bring it out. Some of the herbs that release the exterior have additional functions, stopping coughs and wheezing, controlling pain or spasms, and venting rashes such as measles. In Chinese medicine, the treatment of rashes such as measles consists of bringing the rash, which is a sign of heat, to the surface, inventing it, thereby dispersing the disease. This is similar to releasing an exterior disorder through sweating. Herbs that vent the rash of measles and similar diseases are especially useful in cases of relatively long duration, which is believed that the rash is trapped in the body. Later in the book, uh, under the, the subcategory, they explain the cool acrid release the exterior herbs. Cool acrid herbs, by them, I mean Bensky and his team. Cool acrid herbs are used in treating wind heat patterns with such symptoms as relatively severe fever with mild chills and sore throat. Some of these substances are also effective in venting rashes or treating eye problems due to wind heat. Not a ton there. All right, so that gives you an overview of cool acrid herbs that release the... the exterior. Now let's talk about what is good quality gondochur or prepared soybean. So according to Bensky and their team, good quality consists of loose black beans with a thin membranous skin and a strong aromatic fragrance. So very fragrant. Zhao and Chen. So this is a, is a different book. It is kind of a textbook, not a, not a common one, not one used in the schools that I'm aware of. It's called Chinese Medicinal Identification and Illustrated Approach. So it's actually designed to help identify herbs. It's a really great book, beautiful pictures, uh, lots of each herb that they, that they cover. But uh, to me, this is where I get, I think, the quality. Uh, they're, they're really good at describing what's quality of it. So what they say is superior grades soft are, are soft and aromatic and no pieces that have spoiled are present. They also say they have an oval shape slightly and are slightly flat. They are externally black with a loose and light outer skin and has occasionally already fallen off, exposing a brown seed kernel. The texture is soft, the odor is fragrant, 
and the taste is slightly sweet. That's good quality dandochir. What does it do according to Chinese medicine? So Chinese medical actions with dandochir uh, include releases the exterior. Well, that makes a lot of sense. That's the category it's in. And it says for both hot and cold exterior disorders, because of its mild character, it, al it is also appropriate for treating patterns of yin deficiency with superimposed exterior disorders. And as a second function, it eliminates irritability. And it says under that function for irritability, restlessness, stifling sensation in the chest, and insomnia following a febrile disorder. Chen, Chen similarly say it releases the exterior and eliminates irritability and harmonizes the middle jowl. So often when we say harmonize the middle jowl, we're talking liver and spleen. We're not going to get into three jowls on jowl. Theory is a whole other theory we can get into at some point. Uh, but it, it usually means digestion, often when it says it harmonizes the middle jowl. And remember, this enters the stomach, so it's a part of what it does as well. Brennan Wiseman uh, it says resolves the exterior. Instead of saying uh, eliminates irritability, that it, it is uh, eliminates irritability, yeah. Um, it says it eliminates vexation, which is the same thing. It's just a, a different word. And um, Brandon Wiseman, um, uh, Wiseman wrote uh, a fantastic called, uh, book called The Practical, Practical Dictionary of Chinese Medicine. So he's, he's very much very specific in his verbiage, which is not necessarily true of other textbooks. So um, vexation in this context means a very specific Chinese word that's being translated, uh, while uh, irritability can be, you know, not quite as specific. So that's that's why they use the word vexation here. Zhao and Chen, uh, that's the, the identification uh, book, also have some functions, and they say it resolves the exterior, eliminates vexation, and diffuses depressed heat. So that, that might be a little bit strange sounding, diffuses depressed heat, but uh, you know that that is not a main function. You see, is none of the other texts are really talking about it. It's an interesting function. Depressed heat is often associated with yin deficiency. When we mention yin deficiency, uh, this being treated, releasing the exterior in yin deficiency. But again, that's probably a little bit more advanced than we need to get to get into right now. So preparations, how is this herb and what different types of preparations are there? So according to Bensky, again, unless other exterior releasing herbs are used in the fermentation process, the venting and dispersing quality of this herb is extremely weak. However, various ingredients are used in different parts of China to prepare this herb, some of which are cold and others hot. Most commonly, Artemisiae annua herba qinghao and Morifolium sangye are made into a decoction, which is then used to steam the black soybeans until they are thoroughly soft. The beans are then covered with the dregs of the decoction, left to ferment, and finally dried to form soja semen preparatum or dandochi. This is known as aromatic prepared soybean or xiangdochi, or simply xiangqi, or clearing prepared soybean qingdochi. This is a type that is most appropriate for the discussion of, co of cold damage formula gardenia and prepared soybean decoction or jirzi chertang, which treats heat con constrained in the chest. So 
Um, just want to mention, so this discussion of cold damage, this is, again, a very, very important book in Chinese medical history. I said that the Shenong Ben Sao Jing is sort of the oldest existing book on single herbs. This discussion of cold damage with Shang Hong Meng is the oldest existing book on formulas um, uh, written by Zhang Zhang Jing. And again, this is around, uh, I want to say about 200 CE, but um, something in the back of my head is saying maybe a little bit later than that. I don't have the exact date here, but it is the oldest formula book. So this, again, kind of, you know, this is an older book at this point. So actually that book predates the original text that we're, I'm confused about the history of when we first know about Dao Chi. So I, I, I suspect that this formula did not actually have prepared soybean in it in the, in the Shang uh, Meng on the discussion of cold damage. But again, I'm not an herbal uh, historian, Chinese herbal historian. So anyways, moving on. Uh, back to Bensky. The product known as Dando Chi from Shanghai is prepared quite differently. The juice is pressed from fresh um, polygony hydropiparous herba or La Leao, Artemisia annua herba, Qing Hao, Eupatori uh, herba, Peilan, Perillifolium, Zisuye, Togostomonas slash Agastaches herba, in this case it could be either species, or Huo Xiang, and Nilumbinus. Folium Huya. Separately, ephedra herba ma huang is cooked until a concentrated decoction remains. The black soybeans are mixed with these liquids, steamed, fermented, and dried. This produces a preparation which is warmer than that discussed in the previous paragraph. Several of those herbs are quite warm. Zisuye, and especially ma huang, ephedra, is quite warm. So this is going to be a much warmer version of prepared soybean than the, the previous one we talked about. It is suitable for treating exterior wind cold, wind cold patterns. Remember, this is treating wind heat patterns in its normal preparation. In this case, it's, it's treating exterior wind cold patterns. It is the type called for in the formula scallion and prepared soybean decoction, or song chur tang, variously called bland prepared soybean or dan do chur, warming prepared soybean, Wen Do Chur, and even confusingly clearing prepared soybean, Qing Do Chur. And this is the bottom line here. It is best to consult one supplier to determine whether the Dan Do Chi that they sell has been prepared with ephedra herba ma huang, in which case it would be warming, uh, probably more of a warming nature than of a cooling nature. There's another preparation of this, another way you can do this, and it's called dry fried prepared soybeans or chow do chir. Here the soybeans are dry fried over a moderate flame until aromatic or slightly scorched. Historically, most Materia Medica texts record that fried dan do chi can stop sweating. For example, the Grand Materia Medica notes that fried well, it can stop sweating just like the roots and nodes of ephedra herba ma huang. Present view is that after dry frying, its ability to release the exterior is weakened and it only reduces food stagnation and harmonizes the middle. So interesting. Doesn't really do anything about sweating in modern thought. Chen and Chen have a lot to say about this herb and its preparation. Dando Chi has different properties and functions depending on the processing methods chosen. 
maximize heat clearing effect onto a cheese should be cooked prior to the addition of other herbs. To maximize the exterior releasing function, this herb should be added to the decoction last and cooked only for a short time. Dry frying increases its function to stop perspiration. Dry frying with black beans changes the thermal property to neutral to warm when, when cool. Dry frying with salt enhances its emetic effect, so it actually will cause hemesis or vomiting. Dry frying with garlic helps to stop bleeding. Dry frying with grain-based liquor enhances its ability to dispel wind. So lots of different stuff there. They also include an author's comment similar to the preparation notes in Bensky and, and Bensky and their team text. Dancho chi can be either warm or cold depending on the herb with which it is processed. It is cold in nature and if processed with sangye foliomori and qinghao, herba artemisia annua. On the other hand, it is warm in thermal property if it is processed with zisuye folium perilla and mahuang herba ephedra. While using danto chi, it is important to determine how it has been processed so that it can be used appropriately. So this isn't an herb that you can just kind of take off the shelf and know exactly how it's going to work. You need to know how it's been prepared. So what are some Western uses for this? Well, I, I, as we look at Western uses of soybeans, there's a lot of information available about consuming regular soybeans, but not much about prepared soybeans as we are looking at here. There is a study I'm going to talk about under science that gets into it a little bit different types of, of prepared or fermented soybeans, but it's not necessarily this exact herb. But uh, there's a lot of information about isoflavones and the effects of soybeans on cancer, both pro and con. Some will say it's, it helps cancer. Some will say you have to avoid it if you have cancer. Um, diabetes, it also has effects on diabetes and many other conditions as well. But it's not really, when we say Western uses here, we're talking about herbal use, and it's not really used as a Western herb, as far as I, I can tell in my experience. So Bensky has uh, an extensive commentary on this herb, and, and their commentaries are really good. So um, let's, let's get into this. They say Dantochi is lightweight and floating in nature with good venting, dispersing, and disseminating actions. Not only does it vent and disperse exterior pathogens, it can also spread and clear constrained heat in the interior. Its sweat-inducing action is very subdued and is therefore said to bring out sweat without injuring the yin fluids. Its cooling action is also rather weak, and its ability to disseminate constrained heat in the chest is derived from its power to dredge, vent, and spread. As Treasury of Words on the Materia Medica notes, this is a superior medicinal for venting constraints. Seeking accuracy in the Materia Medica elaborates. Since its flavor is bitter and its temperature cold, one would expect it to be a bitter, downward-directing herb without any power to ascend or lead upward. However, after it is steamed and despite its bitter flavor, it is aromatic and although it is cold, it has lifting and dispersing properties. This is why combined with Alifistulae bulbus or Songbaya, that's, that's uh, green onion, it can induce sweating. With salt, it can induce vomiting. With wine, it can treat wind. With Chinese leeks or Gyosai, it can treat dysenteric disorders. Alimacrostemi bulbus or Xiebai 
was noted for this indication in the Gram Materia Medica. With garlic, it can stop bleeding, and when dry fried until cooked, it can stop sweating. Likewise, when there is a pathogen in the upper body causing symptoms of irritability, restlessness, headache, stifling sensation in the chest, vexation, insomnia, expression of rashes, and nausea, when combined with Gardenia fructus jerza, it can lead the pathogen upward to be vomited out. So jerza is a very cooling herb, so uh, and a lot of what we're, we're talking about is heat, and the rashes, the, uh, the vexation, those sort of things are heat. This prevents it from descending internally and causing symptoms of internal clumping. Some insight into the use of Dantarchi can be gleaned from writings about how it is used to treat lurking pathogens. An example is uh, Liu Baoyi's uh, discussion in encountering the sources of warm heat pathogen diseases about how to treat lurking pathogens in the lesser yin channel of the kidneys. That is a highly, highly technical sentence, um, but important ones, the lesser yin channel of the kidneys Lurking pathogens are kind of also translated as hidden pathogens. These are things that get stuck in certain areas. Uh, in this case, the channel, the kidney channel. Okay, so this is what he says. In my humble opinion, there is nothing better than using scutellaria decoction, huang ching tung, plus scrofularia radix, shuan shen, and dan bo chi. It is the most appropriate method by far with little need for alteration. This is because scutellaria decoction is specially designed to drain and cool internal heat. Scrofularia radix, Xuan Shen, tonifies kidney yin. Dan Do Qi is made from black soybeans, which themselves enter the kidney channel and is made by steaming in a pent-up container, just like the pathogen itself before it begins to emerge. Because its nature and flavor is harmonious and neutral, without the drawback of strong diaphoresis or damage to the yin, is just right for assisting the expression of a deep-lying pathogen in the lesser yin. So that is our commentary. And uh, thank you, Bensky for and his team for that. Uh, there are some, they do compare it to really just one other herb. Uh, so soja semen preparatum, uh, dandochi mildly vents and disperses exterior pathogens whether at the superficial level or looking more deeply, it also relieves constraint. Soldier's semen germinatum, da do chuan, is similar, but its effects are focused on summertime warm pathogen disease and damp heat disorder. So this is that germated form of uh, soybean. So that's the only comparison it really does. And, and given its mild nature, it is not as strong as other herbs in this category. And therefore, there are not a lot of comparisons. Uh, we're relatively rarely using this herb herbally. I, I'll, I'll tell you how I use it uh, when we get to that, but generally it's not often, and I've never, I've suggested it, but I don't, I can't say I've ever prescribed it, at least that I can recall. All right, combinations. And this is how I kind of use it. I'll discuss. So Bensky discusses several combinations, and the first one is with Ali Fistulose Bulbus, sung by as in scallion and prepared soybean decoction, sang chur tang, for fevers with an absence of sweating, epigastric pain and distension, which is characteristic, characteristic of the very earliest stage of externally contracted disorders. This is why I don't use it much. It's because I don't get people that early usually. They usually 
um, wait a few days before they see me. And then by then, this is not good. Uh, but this, uh, so why I want to do this is this is prepared soybean with green onions. And so one of the things I will say to my patients is when they, they're not sure it's cold, it's still kind of nebulous, to go have miso soup. Miso soup is fermented soybeans. Miso is fermented soybeans. It has tofu, which is also fermented soybeans, and it has green onion. So it's a, it has some, some of the seaweed, which may not be perfect in this context, but it's something that I can offer to them, a nice pot and hot bowl of miso soup. That might help them if they are coming down with a cold. So it's one thing, but only very first stages. If it gets in a little bit more, my usual suggestion is to mix, because I haven't seen them, so I don't know what the diagnosis is. I have them mix mint tea and, and, um, and, uh, and fresh ginger uh, and drink it as a tea, uh, and that can help a bit as well. It's not exactly mint tea is uh, peppermint. It's not exactly our boha um, peeled mint, which we've had a, a superb service on, uh, but it's, a, it's, again, it's not a bad thing. And here we go. With... Oh, also for colds associated with yin deficiency, as in scallion decoction with seven ingredients was sung by Chi Wei Yin. That's the other thing uh, that uh, that's useful for in combination with the alley fistulosum bulbus. Uh, in combination with methahaplocalesis or herba, that's boha. It's field mint, similar to peppermint, but not a little bit stronger, not as sweet. Uh, I'm growing some. I'm, I'm having some every day. It's delicious, uh, but not the same as peppermint. Uh, Schizonepidae, Herba, Jingjia, and Arctifructus neovangza for early stages of wind heat disorders with fever and headache, as in honeysuckle and forsythia powder, yin chao san. So yin chao san is one of the basic, more often than not, I, I have another formula that I, I prefer to yin chao san, but yin chao san is one of those uh, many, many, many uh, acupuncturists, herbalists will go, this is their go-to for treating the a cold is yin chao san. So um soldier can be in there as well. It can also be used for blood in the urine with liquid amberous fructus or lulu tong and lychee cortex or digupi. So that's an interesting use of this as well. Again, not necessarily the first herb I would think about for blood in the urine, but um, that is an acceptable combination here. Uh, and they do talk about gardenia fructus, so a combination with jirdza. So we mentioned this earlier. Jirdza is, is quite a cooling herb. It, it's actually bitter and cold. It's not cooling. It's cold. Uh, it drains heat by directing fire downward and out through the urine. Dandochi is acrid, bitter, and cool, ascending and dispersing with the ability to disseminate constrained, constrained heat. When used together, jirdza guides heat downward cooling and draining the irritability from the heat constrained in the chest and diaphragm, while Dan Do Chi vents the heat toward the exterior and releases the constraint. Each supports the other, one venting and releasing, the other guiding downward and out. The pair is therefore commonly used for exterior heat as it first enters the interior, as well as for later stage residual heat trapped in the chest and diaphragm. This combination is called gardenia and prepared soybean decoction, jirdza, Chertan. There you go. And we've we mentioned this earlier as well. And finally, Chen and Chen have a couple of combinations. Uh, it still uses that sangbai, that bulbous alley fistulosa, the green onion, but dry frying it 
enhances its diaphoretic, diaphoretic effect. And dry frying with Shebae, um, Bulbus macrostemonis, improves its effectiveness in treating diarrhea. So that's interesting, diarrhea. All right, contents. According to Bensky, the constituents of Dandochi include flavonoids, including um, diadzin, diadzine, genistin, and uh, genistine, saponins. Uh, remember we said isoflavones, so that's what we're... The one that you often hear about are is isoflavones or flavonoid is genistine. That's the big one that we, we hear a lot about when we're looking at the research of soybeans. It also includes saponins, including soya, sapogenol, uh, A, B, C, D, and E. Organic acids, including folic acid, pan pantothenic acid, sialic acid, nicotinic acid. All of those, except for sialic acid, are actually vitamins, vi B vitamins. So um, it, has, uh, it's a, it has a lot of vitamins in it. And of course, it's a good source of protein. It includes fat and carbohydrates. Soybeans in general are. Uh, fermented still has a lot of that, maybe not quite as much as it's been cooked and fermented. Uh, Badal and Delgota, which uh, are authors of the book Pharmacognosy, Fundamentals, Application, and Strategy, which often gets into the constituents of herbs and what, what are the benefits. Um, they add dietary fiber and polysterols. Polysterols are uh, often in herbs and are used, are, are often considered sort of the uh, main ingredients of herbs, they often have the herbal effects as well. So polysterols are probably pretty important, though maybe not as important in soybeans as in maybe other herbs. All right, let's talk about the science of this. So according to Chen Chen, this herb has a very mild diaphoretic effect. Remember, diaphoresis is, is sweating, so it has a mild, very mild diaphoretic effect. Again, it's not a strong herb. Vidal and Delgota, that's that pharmacognosy book, so soybeans in general have estrogenic activity, so they, they uh, add estrogen to the body, are antioxidant, hypolipidemic, and used in metabolic disorders such as cardiovascular disease, diabetes and obesity, as well as cancer, osteoporosis, menopause, and anemia. So this estrogenic activity is an interesting one. Uh, I had a, a partner in, in my practice at one point who absolutely refused to have soy in anything. In fact, we, we spent a long time trying to figure out what vitamin and mineral line we wanted in our in our practice. We finally decided on which one, and uh, we got it, and, and in it was a very minuscule amount of soy, and she said, I, I'm, I'm not going to at all uh, prescribe this to my, to my patients. So uh, she, didn't, she didn't use any of those because of just a really teeny, tiny, tiny amount of it. Um, it it's very controversial. I, I don't Personally, when I look this up, I don't think it has estrogenic activity. Uh, there's some evidence that it does, especially in rats, but when we look at it in humans, it doesn't look like it does. Again, science is a stepwise process, so we don't know exactly what it's going to, you know, what further research is going to show. At this point, I don't think there's a ton of estrogenic activity or we need to be worried about it. Uh, as for prepared soy products, uh, I'll get into this in We had a, a comment, uh, white soja or like the black. I'm not familiar with white soja, so I, I, unfortunately I can't answer that, uh, Ralph, but um, it's an interesting question. Uh, I, I think in general we are looking at black soybeans when we're talking about this Don Dolce, the prepared soy products. I didn't see any reference to anything being white in any of the textbooks. So, I, uh, and, and as we know in Chinese medicine, Color plays a role. 
And so I, I would tend to think that white soldiers are going to be very different than the black soldiers from a Chinese medical point of view. Whether or not that's true from you know an experimental point of view, I, I can't say, but I'm not familiar with white soldier. So that's soybeans in general that we talked about. As for prepared soy products, I did find an interesting paper called Fermented Soy Products and Their Potential Health Benefits, a review. And I love reviews. So um, this was a little sparse. It was interesting. Though. While Dong Dong Chi is fermented, it is not fermented in the same way as some of the fermented soy foods. So we have to take all this with a grain of salt. Fermented soy foods include natto, miso, tofu. Now, it does say dochi here, and I'm wondering if that means our dan dochi. I'm not sure. It says dochi, sufu, changgu, jang, dongjang, kanjang, meiju, tempeh, thua nao, kinema, hawaijer, and tungrimbai. As you can tell, I have not heard of a lot of those. So those are, a lot of them are new to me, but they're all fermented soybean products. And in this, in this review, the authors say, fermentation enriches the nutritional value of foods by increasing the content of vitamins, essential amino acids, or fatty acids, following de detoxification, uh, allowing, sorry, allowing detoxification and removal of anti-nutritional factors. Basically, the paper says fermented soy products are potentially antioxidant, anti-cancer, anti-obesity, <coughs> anti-diabetic, anti-inflammatory, cardio, and uh, neuroprotective, so it helps the, the uh, heart and, and nerves, and anti-aging. I, I don't know about you, none of those things sound bad to me, and uh, I'm, I'm really uh, taking a huge focus on what I'm eating, and soy is definitely a big part of it because I do think it's very, very much uh, uh, helpful in this context to, to life. All right, let's talk about drug-herb interactions. Uh, a search for drug-herb interactions with Dan Dochi yielded no results. Similarly, the American Herbal Products Association's Botanical Safety Handbook did not have an entry on our herb or soy in general. There were some studies that showed some cytochrome Q450 interactions with some of the constituents of Dan Dochi, but none for the whole herb or full-spectrum extract. One rat study did show um, cytochrome P450-3A4 and peak glycoprotein induction with soy milk and miso. Again, not exactly what we're talking about here. Um, cytochrome P450 and peak glycoproteins are just um, things that we're looking at for increased risk of drug-herb interactions. Overall, there appears to be a minimal risk of a drug-herb interaction with Dandochi in humans. There you go. Concerns. According to Bensky and their team, there are no noted cautions or contraindications. Additionally, neither Brandon Wiseman nor Chen and Chen have any cautions. This is odd. I've never not had any cautions on herbs. So that's a that's a huge issue here. Um, and I, I just, you know, the fact that it doesn't have any cautions, it makes sense. It's a food based on a food substance. It seems reasonable on the surface. This is the fermented product of not just a common food substance, one which is among the most widely consumed foods in the world. I mean, like, literally, there's, like, rice, wheat, and soy. I mean, those are the three most consumed foods in the world. So in this context, it should, it better be quite safe. So definitely, definitely good. So that is our herb today. We started our podcast today with a discussion of the tastes of herbs in Chinese medicine. A foundational herbal concept, and then we discussed Dan Do Chi 
a fermented form of soybeans as a mild yet seemingly quite safe herb. There is a, not a lot of science specifically about this herb. I did look it up. It has been used for at least 500, if not 1,500 years plus. So there should be some efficacy. I, I, I do think Chinese uh, medicine will dump things that don't work. And the fact that it's still part of the material medica means there, there has to be a usefulness to it. So there's got to be some efficacy to it. So it's probably like we've been saying all along, it's mild. It's not huge. It, it doesn't have, it, 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 even if it's efficacious for what it's supposed to do, it doesn't move the needle much in a situation. So you have to have fairly, it, it, it's only very useful at the very beginning of a cold or some conditions. And unless that, there's that lurking pathogen, that's the alternative use for that. And we learned something about the importance of miso soup or the traditional formula scallion and prepared soybean decoction song chertang when we were fighting the early stages of a cold. So I'll tell you what, I don't know if that's a great uh, analog for uh, a miso soup is a great analog for song chertang, but it, it sure is healthy, tastes good. Uh, it's, it's warming. It's a soup, which is always very soothing when you're coming down with a cold. So I don't see any problems with saying um, to a patient that I can't see right away, um, have some miso soup, have a big bowl of miso soup and with the soybeans. So that's, that's my advice. That's where I end this, our talk about today's herb. In our next episode, it is quite a special one. It will be our 50th episode. I cannot believe we're 50 episodes in. Uh, we will be covering a very interesting, one of my favorite formulas, Shui Fu Zhu Yutang, or drive out stasis from the mansion of blood decoction. This is a great formula for pain in the chest, and I frequently use a modification for treating low back pain in many of my patients. And as usual, we will be exploring something a little different. Please join us for the next very incredibly special episode. I don't know, I might have a, a, a noisemaker. I might have some streamers. I might not. I might have their 50th episode. That's a milestone. And I just want to say thank you very much for listening. If you like this podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating in your favorite podcast app, but we would really be thankful for that. And remember, you can get this in our Drug Herb Series Mega Deal and our special on my favorite course, Why Not How Do Herbs Work? at www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org. That's C-O-U-N-C-I-L.org. And you can always get in touch with me at drgreg at spurbsherbs.com or at our website, www.spurbsherbs.com. That's S-P-E-R-B-S-H-E-R-B-S.com. And as usual, Spurbs Herbs. The proceeding was presented by Dr. Greg Sperber. We would like to thank Janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program. Janelle. Janelle. Timothy, Timothy Dobbins, Dobbins. Rogers. Campbell.